Hi, I'm Gabby. Welcome to the Happier Life Project, brought to you by leading mental health and wellness app, My Possible Self, in partnership with the Priory Healthcare. Okay, today it's time to learn all about CBT. Cognitive Behavioural Therapy is a talking therapy that can help you manage your problems by changing the way you think and behave. It's NHS recommended and prescribed to treat a wide range of mental, emotional and physical health problems, but it's perhaps most commonly used to treat anxiety disorders and depression. Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, or CBT, is one of the most common and best studied forms of psychotherapy. If you haven't experienced it yourself, you probably know somebody who has. But I still think there's a lot we don't know or understand, and that's where principal CBT therapist and mindfulness teacher Natalie Inglander comes in. The key behind CBT is that what you think and what you do affects the way you feel. Natalie is an expert in CBT and a wealth of information on the subject. And today you are going to learn everything you need to know about cognitive behavioral therapy. So let's get stuck in. Ready to find a healthier, happier you? Let's get started. Welcome back to the Happier Life Project, Natalie Englander. Now, for anyone who is meeting you for the first time, Natalie is a principal CBT therapist and mindfulness teacher who specializes in helping millennial women overcome perfectionism and build self-esteem, offering online CBT and mindfulness courses. So Natalie and I recorded a previous episode for the podcast, and that was all about building self-esteem and proved to be very popular. So today we're going to talk about the world of CBT. Yes, thank you for having me. I could (laughs) probably talk for hours about CBT. Um, Oh goodness. That's my bread and butter, what I do. (laughs) But I've come to the right person then because I think, you know, starting right at the beginning, Many people have heard the, t- the term CBT or they know somebody that might have gone through this form of treatment. But I still think within that batch, although they might be familiar with the term, they don't know exactly what it means. So I thought this would be a good place to start. What, Natalie, is CBT? Yeah, good question. So essentially, CBT is a type of talking therapy. Um, usually offered by cognitive behavioural therapists and also psychologists as well. Um, And as well as being endorsed by the NHS as the sort of number one treatment for depression and anxiety, um, it's also recommended in the NICE guidelines, again, as the the kind of first line treatment for anxiety disorders or depression. Um, And it's also great for other issues, things like perfectionism, low self-esteem, stress, burnout. And it's great as well because CBT, if you kind of think of like an umbrella term, cognitive behavioural therapies. um, And within that, there are other types of therapies such as compassion focused therapy, mindfulness based Mm -hmm. cognitive therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, and they're often referred to as third wave cognitive behavioural therapies, so sort of newer, more recent ones. 
you mentioned about it being talking therapy and I can't help but think of my mm. brother who was um, recommended and he did a course of CBT. He's not a good communicator. Like he really struggles, probably like quite a lot of men and women too. So do you find when clients first approach you, they can be quite nervous about the thought of talking therapy? Because I think some mm. people like to not open Pandora's box and, and, and the thought of like spilling their guts is quite daunting. Yeah, definitely. And I can relate to that myself from having therapy before, definitely feeling really nervous. And again, that thought of, oh, it's just easier not to open Pandora's box and just mm-hmm. you know, continue on as is. Um, so lots of my clients are usually quite nervous beforehand mm-hmm. and hopefully kind of with a warm welcome and just a bit of an explanation of, you know, what this is about, what it's going to look like, etc. can help to calm nerves but I guess what I think is nice about CBT versus other types of therapy is that the therapist isn't sort of a blank slate and they won't just sit there in silence um, and kind of leave you to do all the talking CBT is really collaborative so it, it should hopefully feel kind of like this like a conversation back and forth usually sort of good CBT therapists would tailor the sessions so that maybe to begin with they might do a little bit more talking because they know the person isn't quite sure how this works. They might need a bit more guidance or direction on kind of what the structure of the sessions would be like. And then as you go on, the therapist might sort of pull back a little bit um, once the client kind of knows, okay, I I get how this works and they're able to open up more and want to talk more, share more, et cetera. Mm. So in terms of CBT, is it, basically through you know talk therapy is it reprogramming the brain is that what you're doing are you rewiring certain types of behavior or thought Mm. patterns yeah well I mean the key idea behind CBT is that what you think so that's the cognitive part of the name um, and what you do so your behavior affects the way that you feel Um, and sometimes we can find ourselves stuck in vicious cycles where our thoughts or our behavior, the things we're doing or the things we're not doing, to try and solve a problem might inadvertently keep the problem going. And that then means that we might continue to experience sort of negative feelings associated with that problem. And it can just make it really difficult to feel like we can move forward with our lives. So we very much focus on our thoughts, our thinking patterns and our behaviors what we're doing, what we're not doing, and how that might be impacting on how we're feeling day to day. Mm. There are four elements that you explore in CBT, and you kind of touched upon this slightly already, um, and this is that help people to deal with their problems by challenging the way they think about them. So these Mm. four core elements are thoughts, which are the cognitions, feelings, which are the emotions, behaviours and physiology, which is your biology. So can you help us understand what that means? Mm. Yeah, well, it's really helpful, actually, that you mentioned physiology, because often we tend to forget about that in the feelings part. Um, So as I said, CBT is all about how the way we think and what we do affects how we feel. And when we talk about how we feel, yes, we absolutely mean our emotions. So if we feel sad, happy, anxious, angry, um, but it's also how we feel physically in our bodies as well. So typical examples we might see if we're feeling low in mood or um, depressed or our emotion is sadness, then our physiology or our sort of bodily 
symptoms or sensations might be feeling lethargic, feeling mm. tired, mm. Um, a loss of appetite, not sleeping as well, versus if we're feeling anxious, if our emotion is kind of panic, anxiety, then maybe we might notice our physiology includes feeling a bit breathless, feeling our heart racing, hot, sweaty, mm. maybe feeling a bit sick. And so it's really important that we actually include all of those areas in our understanding of, of problems, essentially. Mm. And there's kind of a, a fifth and final part, which we'd always look at when we're breaking down problems to understand them, is the situation. Um, mm. So anytime someone brings a problem to me, I would want to look at, OK, what was the situation? You know, what were you doing? Maybe spotting some triggers, what you were thinking how you were feeling emotionally and physically and what you were doing in terms of your behaviour. So sometimes in CBT, we might call that a five areas um, right. that we kind of map out um, together to try and sort of make sense of things. And by sort of pulling that apart and talking it through, is that where the reprogramming takes place because people are more, I guess, aware of what's going on. So it doesn't mm. just become this overwhelming rush of anxiety or sadness or, you know, whatever the case may be. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I mean, I'd say that's that's definitely a big part of it. That wouldn't be all of it, but definitely the first step is exactly, as you say, just becoming more aware of everything, even just being able to understand, oh, okay, I see why I suddenly felt so anxious because... The situation was interview and to me I just thought this is an interview I feel anxious and I don't know why and I don't know what's happening and suddenly I'm sweating and feeling like I'm going to be sick it's because mm -hmm. we've identified that perhaps there are thoughts in there as well and maybe the thoughts are which we don't always notice uh, might be I'm going to mess up I'm going to fail I'm going to make a fool of myself and actually that's what's triggered our anxiety it's not really the situation it's how we're thinking about something um, or maybe our behaviours, maybe we notice we engage in certain what we call safety behaviours, things that we're doing to try and make ourselves feel better, um, mm. but actually are making it worse. So let's say um, we've got an interview and we know, oh, I always get like a huge rash on my chest, which makes it obvious I'm anxious and I'm really embarrassed about that. So I'm going to wear a turtleneck. Um, and then you might find that actually you're boiling and sweating in your interview and that's making right. you feel more anxious. Yeah. Um, so maybe a, a random example, but I guess just showing the the impact of how all these things affect one mm. another, really. So that's that's kind of the first step is is having the awareness, and then you look at trying to make changes in terms of how you're thinking, how you're behaving, and how you're sort of coping with with the feelings, essentially. Right. I'm thinking about something I've heard Oprah say on more than one occasion, which is choose another thought. But I also think that can be easier said than done if it's a thought that we've had for most of our life. So would mm. CBT help with that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so usually in CBT, a typical approach would be to practice challenging your thoughts. So you might learn about common unhelpful thinking styles or Kind of formal name would be cognitive distortions but ultimately they're just unhelpful thinking habits that we tend to do um, mm. and so you might learn about those and learn to spot and recognize when you're engaging in those and then learn how to challenge your thoughts so actually looking at 
what's the evidence I have for this negative thought? Is there actually any evidence against the negative thought? And then trying to be able to come up with a more balanced thought. Um, mm. And it's not about trying to kind of like delude yourself and go completely from a negative thought to like an incredible happy thought. It's right. just maybe having something that's a bit more balanced because often our thinking tends to be quite biased yeah. in, in, a, in a negative way. So you've touched upon um, some of the reasons why people might go for CBT. And I wonder if we could expand on that a bit more, because some of them you mentioned were, and it was going to be one of my questions was, I understand about people coming for more of, let's say, the medical mental health Mm -hmm. uh, problems, because we know, like you said, it's uh, prescribed on the NHS. So anxiety, depression, panic disorders, body issues, um, substance yeah. abuse all that kind of stuff but then on the things that maybe we wouldn't see a doctor about because it's quite hard to get an appointment or maybe we couldn't even get past the receptionist to make an appointment things like mm-hmm. chronic stress or yeah. heart heartbreak even rejection mm. yeah grief these are all things that could also be worked on within a cbt session yeah absolutely and i guess kind of my specialty perfectionism and low self-esteem those technically Mm. aren't mental health problems it's just that often they're linked to mental health problems or we might well develop anxiety or depression if we are a chronic perfectionist or we have chronic low self-esteem let's say right yeah um and so yeah it it absolutely can be used for for lots of different things um Mm. and i'm always mindful of not saying you know CBT is the best thing for everything that's not always going to be the case and it's not always the case that CBT is the best for every person as well different people do better with different styles of of therapy perhaps Um, Mm. but it certainly can be really valuable to help in in lots of different ways and certainly with things like stress burnout relationship issues or or finding sort of that we have particular relationship patterns that maybe we're not happy with Break yeah up, yeah those sorts of things yeah like worry as well I mean everybody we're mm. in a stressful word but maybe if you're a chronic worrier definitely and I mean chronic worrying um can often be a sign of generalized anxiety disorder which is essentially where we worry about anything and everything and we mm. feel anxious all the time we can't relax it affects our sleeping we might find that we're avoiding doing things so definitely worry is a big thing um, Mm. that lots of people experience that we often tackle with CBT. And then if you can't get it prescribed on the NHS and you're thinking about Mm. going and doing it privately, can you feel the benefits after one session? Because I'd imagine you need a course and Mm. maybe that puts people off if it's a financial thing, if they don't have too much in terms of excess funds um, yeah. Although there's still, I think, a perception shift that needs to change there because it's health and so it should be prioritised. But some people, you know, I'm, I'm just putting myself in the position of somebody that like is thinking about doing it, but then is coming up with reasons why maybe mm. they don't or maybe they think it's going to go on for too long and they wouldn't see the benefits after one or two. Yeah, yeah, it's it's true. I guess in some ways I'd kind of think of it like, let's say you had a bad back um, and you needed to see the physio. Well, firstly, you probably wouldn't 
put off having a bad back or seeing a physio right so why why do we put off our mental health or if it's not if we don't have a mental health problem just our well-being in mm. general you know if we're mm. a perfectionist or we're stressed let's try and get some support to kind of improve our quality of life but probably similar to maybe one or two physio sessions might well be helpful um, but you'd probably get more benefit if you had say six sessions or or 12 sessions you absolutely can benefit from having a couple of sessions because usually in CBT the first couple of sessions would be an assessment where the therapist is asking you lots of questions to get to know about you your life and, and what it is that you're struggling with and then we usually move into creating what we call a formulation which is essentially our sort of understanding of of the problem and the difficulties kind of like a conceptualization if you like um, mm. where we actually write and kind of draw it out on a piece of paper so we can see okay this is when the problem started this is perhaps why it developed and this is maybe what's keeping it going and that can be incredible for people to get just an understanding of a what's happening to me or, or you know what what is this um, and also perhaps why it started or why why we may have been more likely to develop this particular problem let's say it's depression or an anxiety disorder um mm, so yeah I guess I'm sure if you just had that that would yeah. be helpful but then I would always encourage people now that kind of gives us a clear plan of right we can see what's keeping the problem going let's try and work on it to make it better yeah I would imagine but correct me if I'm wrong you could see results pretty quickly once you get to grips with the issues that you're having mm. CBT therapy for is that true or is it case by case yeah I mean it's definitely case by case but absolutely there are some particular difficulties and depending on on the severity where you could pretty quickly experience benefits um, and perhaps maybe only need six sessions let's say um, whereas there might be other things that you would work on that would perhaps benefit from having more sessions. So speaking from my experience with perfectionism and, and low self-esteem, there's kind of lots of stuff we could do initially that would be really useful and we could leave it there and that would be great. But I'd always want to take it that next step further and kind of get more to the root of things and making changes there. And that can mm. take a little bit more time, let's say. Mm. So it kind of it depends, really. I did see some really impressive statistics about, I think it was 70%, but don't quote me, but 70% of people that took a course in CBT for anxiety, that, that it was that effective that 70% of people saw benefits and that it really helped them. I'm not saying it cured, but um, yeah, just we mentioned about anxiety and also acknowledging moderate depression as well. Mm. Sometimes somebody doesn't know why that why they're anxious or they're depressed so then yeah. it's just this overwhelming feeling that they have and it consumes them so if they're going for cbt how do you help them to find what the root of the problem is if they don't know what it is themselves mm. and or can you yeah definitely and that's that's probably the majority often of people that that come to therapy they're just feeling overwhelmed by their problems and they can't really make sense of them they don't really right. know what they are they might not even know if it has a name um or like a diagnosis or a label let's say um, mm. and that's exactly what cbt does it tries to break down overwhelming problems into smaller more manageable parts we might kind of work on on one thing at a time but certainly usually with 
CBT, your kind of first couple of sessions when you have an assessment. If someone is wanting to know, like, is this a particular mental health problem? Have I got an anxiety disorder? Is this depression? Then absolutely your therapist will be able to, to tell you, yes, this looks like um, moderate depression or severe depression, or this looks like PTSD or OCD, for example. Mm. And, and for some people, there might not be like, it might not be a label or a diagnosis for it. But using that formulation, you can still make sense of things to see, OK, yeah, this is this is what the problem is and this is why it's it's developed. Right. I want to go back to triggers and when it's externally, others should never get to control how you feel about you. But that's often what sets these triggers off and the mm-hmm. old negative thought patterns. So some examples I've wrote down, ghosting, being put down by a work colleague, not being able to do all the things your friends are doing um, for financial reasons, say, uh, here comes the old familiar stories of I'm not good enough, smart enough, pretty enough, lovable. Mm -hmm. Helping a client change their programming so that if a potential new romantic partner doesn't respond in the way you would like or at all, or your boss doesn't acknowledge the hard work that you've put into a project, or you don't get included on a night out with some of your friendship circle, how does CBT get them to a place of neutrality rather than these incidents setting off, you know, the alarm bells of abandonment, lack of self-worth, mm. and then we go down this self-loathing sort of shame spiral? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was kind of smiling to myself as you were reading through that because I was thinking this, ex- this is exactly all the kind of stuff um, <laughs> that I would kind of talk about and, and work through with my clients right um, okay in therapy and often it's not always about the situation that happens so let's say your friends don't include you on a night out or um, someone ignores you or you don't do well at work something like that Um, it's how we interpret or how we think about the situation that can sometimes trigger us let's say Mm -hmm. so to, to give you an example Um, if you're walking down the street and you see a friend on the other side of the road and you wave and they don't wave back yeah if we think about what would we think what would run through our minds some people would think um oh god they're annoyed with me I must have done something wrong and they might start to feel really anxious Um, another person might think how bloody rude what a (laughs) whatever insert rude word I won't say that yeah And they might start to feel really angry. And then another person might think, oh, they're always in a world of their own, silly, whoever, they didn't see me, never mind, I'll message them later to say they didn't see me. So that's the same situation, identical situation, but there's a range of different responses, which I think can help to highlight how often it might well be our, our thinking patterns and the way that we interpret a situation that might be causing the problems or it might be a case of we need to work on certain skills like assertiveness or boundaries sometimes it's not always a case of of trying to adjust or change our thinking patterns it's maybe focusing on our behaviors also Mm -hmm. thinking about kind of what we would accept or not accept what we're happy with not happy with Um, like Mm -hmm. people pleasing comes to mind for example Mm. so what about rejection? And again, I'm going to go down the romantic route because I know relationships is so mm. huge when it comes to our well-being and thinking about our audience as well. Uh, yeah. Like, let's say dating apps, even just the 
the swiping to initially show that you you're interested and then maybe mm. you do match but then maybe you get ghosted or maybe you start a conversation and then you get nothing like that i mean obviously there's loads of different scenarios within that but if it doesn't work out it all leads back to rejection mm. so in terms of like scenarios yeah there's different scenarios there's the one where the person's just a player there's the other mm-hmm. one where you know the person's got back into another relationship or whatever and so isn't single anymore I mean I, I could go on there's loads of different scenarios but it doesn't yeah. necessarily make you feel any better yeah of course and I think rejection is always a particularly difficult one for people I say rejection is generally hard for everyone and anyone but there can also be for some people rejection is very very difficult and triggering and that's perhaps going to be due to some of their early experiences that Mm. they've had in childhood or, or life in general you know perhaps they were bullied when they were younger let's say so rejection might be particularly hard for them as, mm-hmm. as an adult let's say yeah and I'd throw in abandonment issues as well there mm-hmm. that's probably yeah. a big one absolutely definitely that's a really common one and again can often be linked to our early experiences in childhood mm-hmm. yeah um, so where does CBT help there then yeah so you would definitely want to spend some time focusing on those early experiences and what sort of impact that had on our beliefs that develop about ourselves and the world in general you know did we have early experiences that led us to develop beliefs that generally the world is a safe nice place other people are good and I'm a nice person or did our early experiences result in us developing beliefs that maybe the world is a bit dangerous or other people are rejecting um, or maybe I'm not good enough or I'm a failure because Mm. those beliefs are going to shape how we live our lives and we mm. often develop certain rules um, that we live by as a result of our beliefs. So let's say, for example, common with perfectionists, you might have a belief, I'm not good enough, or I'm a failure, or I'm unlovable. So yeah. you might start to develop lots of rules that you try and live by to sort of make make sure our, our core beliefs aren't true. So I might try and be perfect to everything, and I might people please all the time in a way of trying to be good enough or to try and be lovable let's say Mm. um and often a lot of that stuff is kind of unconscious or we're not really thinking about day to day it's not until therapy you kind of need the therapist to help you uncover that and then work on it and and make changes and that's Mm. the stuff when I mentioned earlier if you kind of you can work more on the surface but then you can also go go a bit deeper as well I think with lots of these things it you know with dating dating apps rejection there etc um, it can come back to often our self-worth. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So if we feel worthy, we don't rely on that external validation from others um, or, or dating apps to know that we are still worthy as a person. So mm-hmm. maybe if something doesn't quite go well, we're more able to be resilient. I guess we're more able to think, okay, that wasn't great, but it's not the end of the world and I'm still a nice person 
So I'm I think thinking it's... of the Elton John. I'm still standing. I... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just sort of like, and I don't want us to go too deep into this because obviously it would take too much time. But um, something I read online was about these techniques that are often used during CBT. And there's nine strategies. So I'm going to wield them off to you. And then some of them are very obvious, but uh, cognitive restructuring or reframing. So that's changing your thought patterns, right? And those beliefs yeah. that you were talking about. Yeah. Guided discovery. Yeah. So any therapist wow. listening to this should know exactly what this is. But anyone who's not a therapist, yeah, they, w- they wouldn't know. Guided discovery is when in therapy you talk about things in a particular way that then gets you to a place of insight where you maybe have a better understanding of of what's underneath something let's say ah, right um, got it so my example earlier of learning about how maybe our experiences led to developing particular beliefs and rules um mm-hmm. learning about that understanding that that's maybe um guided discovery let's say right exposure therapy <laughs> Yeah, doesn't sound nice. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Exposure therapy or sometimes called exposure response prevention therapy, ERP, that's often used in um, helping to treat OCD, for example, or phobias. Mm. Um, So if you've got a phobia of a spider, you might do exposure therapy where you gradually get used to spiders and you're no longer fearful of them. Right. I know you're big on this next one, journaling and recording thoughts. Yes, definitely. Um, yeah. I think that's great to just build more awareness mm. of, of our mm. thoughts, our feelings, our behaviours, for sure. Activity scheduling and behaviour activation. Yeah, so this is mainly used for depression, but I actually think uh, this is great for anyone. Like sometimes I do this myself. Behavioural activation for depression is essentially when, when you're depressed, you tend to get low in mood and less active you withdraw you isolate you stay in bed etc so behavioral activation would look at increasing your activity levels to try and actually increase your energy levels and lift your mood but doing that is easier said than done so we usually use activity scheduling where we will schedule in our week in advance of what we'd like to do and obviously you need to make it you know balanced if you're severely Mm. depressed don't add in five million things to do Mm. kind of you want to pitch it at the right level and then the idea is that you follow the plan not your mood because your mood will probably say I can't be bothered I feel shit I just want to stay in bed but you try and follow what the plan says on the activity schedule yeah I wonder if that's useful for social anxiety as well or would that make somebody more anxious if they know they've got things in the diary yeah (laughs) mapped out for the week they'll probably be worried about them I don't, I don't know what well, the answer is there. <laughs> I was I was going to say, actually, the, the next one that you'd mentioned, was it behavioural experiments? Yes, um, behavioural experiments probably, is next. Yeah, that would probably be more useful for social anxiety. So where you'd look at setting up with your therapist an experiment where maybe instead of saying no to that party you've been invited to, go to it and test out whatever your anxious or negative predictions are. Maybe you think no one will talk to me. I guess mm. if you don't go, you'll never know. You'll yeah. probably continue to have those same beliefs because they remain unchallenged versus if you go and you see actually lots of people did speak to me or maybe one person came over to speak to me 
and kind of see what what you learned from that. So behavioural experiments are a way of testing out your anxious or negative predictions, essentially. Mm. Relaxation and stress reduction techniques. I think we could all benefit from that. (laughs) Yes, definitely. And kind of as it sounds, and there are different types of relaxation techniques. There's lots of different breathing techniques, or there's progressive muscle relaxation, which if you type in on YouTube, you'll get different videos um, progressive muscle relaxation yeah it kind of takes you through your body where you tense and release all your muscles kind of one by one and then you feel nice and relaxed afterwards that sounds great role playing so I suppose scenarios where that cause this anxiety or fear or whatever yeah definitely um I mean maybe staying with the social anxiety example sometimes if someone feels as though they're gen- genuinely lack in social skills, as well as kind of having those anxieties and social situations, then I might role play with them. Let's let's practice someone saying, hey, how are you? Um, let's role play that. Or if someone right. wants to try and be a bit more assertive, but they're terrified, I'd say, OK, well, let's let's practice it here first before yeah. doing it in the wild. <laughs> in the wild I won't put you on the spot for the last one because I had to google it because I'd never even heard of the term before successive approximation so this website I think was American and you you will know exactly what it is when I read it successive approximation involves taking tasks that seem overwhelming and breaking mm-hmm. them into smaller more achievable steps so each okay. successive step builds upon the previous steps so that you gain confidence as you go bit by bit yeah, yeah, we'd definitely use that tool in CBT. Sometimes we might call it creating a hierarchy. Mm. Um, so easier steps at the bottom of the ladder, harder steps at the top. And you might often do that with exposure therapy. Let's use the spider example again. If you're scared of spiders, mm. you don't want to do day one, put 20 spiders all over your face. Oof, um, no. And that likely will never be the end goal anyway. That's the thing with exposure therapy. You take it to where you want to take it to. But Mm. your hierarchy, this successive approximation might be, first of all, you just start off talking about spiders. Then you might practice looking at photos. Then you might watch videos. Then you might be in a room, but it's over there under a jar. Then it might come a bit closer and then you might lift the jar off and just touch it or, you know, whatever you want. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Uh, So you, for the most part, see your clients online. And I know you're a big advocate for online CBT and you say it's just as effective as face-to-face therapy. I mean, these days, most things are remote, aren't they? We're recording a a podcast remotely, whereas like a few years ago, that wouldn't have been a done thing. Yeah, talk a bit about your practice online as a CBT therapist, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, I absolutely love it. Um, And I've also experienced having therapy myself online over Zoom. Um, And I thought it worked fine. It was great. It was really convenient and easy for me. Um, Mm. And I think it's nice for clients to be able to do therapy from the comfort of your own home. You can sit and do it in the car if you want to. And there's no kind of... I don't know, having to pay for parking, waiting rooms, um, having to take a bigger chunk out of your day to be able to get there and get back. I think what I really like about it as well is that let's say someone wanted to work with me um, because they know, oh, she specialises in perfectionism and low self-esteem. Then your location, wherever you are in the country or even in the world, that's not a barrier to accessing and seeing the person that, that you want to see. 
I really like that. And again, myself, I'd know if I had a traumatic experience and I developed PTSD and I was looking online and I found someone and I read their profile and I thought, oh, yeah, that really spoke to me. And they specialise in PTSD. I'd love to see them. Oh, they live in Scotland. I can't. Well, actually, yeah. with online therapy, you can. And that's brilliant. Yeah. And I think actually now after we've talked for a little bit that you could get more specific as well, like like with you, it's perfectionism and self-worth. So when you're putting into Google and you're trying to find that therapist mm. to meet your needs, it doesn't need to just be CBT therapist near me. It could be yeah. CBT therapist specializing in yeah, whatever, exactly. whatever the problem might be. Yeah. I found this five steps of CBT. Again, it was on a website and I was just curious, is this a kind of rule of thumb um, for CBT therapists? Yeah, five easy steps to change in your thinking using cognitive behavioral therapy. Step one is make a list. Step two is record unproductive thoughts. Step three is create replacement thoughts. Step four is read your list often. And then step five is notice and replace. Is that kind of what we can expect from any CBT as an overarching kind of um, plan? Yeah, I guess it's that kind of sounds like um, maybe what we call um, a thought record or or when we're doing thought challenging, um, where we might write down what the situation was, how we were feeling, what we were thinking. So I guess that's the recording our, our unhelpful thoughts. Um, and then practicing coming up with an alternative, more balanced or replacement thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the the reading your list often, that might be if someone has a particular thought that tends to always come up, same thought, then it might be helpful to, to keep reminding yourself of that replacement or alternative thought that you came up with, for sure. Right. So you've got your own approach as well, um, as you draw on other trainings in mindfulness and compassion-focused therapy to tailor the therapy to meet your client's unique needs. In fact, there's a great quote on your website that I want to go back to, where you say, the great thing about CBT is that it's a collaborative therapy. I'm the expert in CBT and you're the expert in you which I thought was really cool. So how do you weave in the sort of the mindfulness and the compassion into CBT, which I guess is kind of talking about it, but then maybe being a bit of trying to be objective and, and like you're noticing what's going on within your thoughts? Mm, yeah, absolutely. I guess mindfulness is brilliant because it helps you to be more present and in the present moment in a non-judgmental way versus usually we're wanting things to be different in some way. It's great just for generally helping us build our awareness of, of what exactly is going on, how I'm feeling, how I'm feeling in my body. Often we're so disconnected from our bodies, which is completely up in our heads. And sometimes mindfulness can give you a different way of managing your negative thoughts. Um, so yes, CBT, you can challenge them, come up with an alternative, more balanced thought. Or sometimes you can take a more mindfulness approach, which is instead to maybe step back and just notice the thought, see it on a cinema screen, let's say, as it goes across. So rather than being caught up with it in it, you're standing back and you're observing it more. And you don't actually have to try and change it or come up with an alternative. You can just let it be there and let it kind of drift off. And in the meantime, you're going to go back to focusing on the present moment, whether it's being with your kids, drinking a cup of tea, chatting to a friend, for example. 
And so I think there can be lots of benefits. And I like having the flexibility of, of we might use thought challenging, a CBT technique, or we might use a mindfulness approach, kind of depending on the person and, and what they're finding helpful. Um, mm. And then compassion focused therapy is brilliant because we could all do with more self-compassion for sure. Self-compassion is essentially about self-kindness, being kind to ourselves, incorporating mindfulness, having awareness, and also this idea of common humanity. Um, so that's kind of knowing that we're not alone in our suffering. Everyone has problems and perhaps has similar problems to us. And that can sometimes be quite powerful so that we don't feel as isolated and like, I'm the only one who feels this way. Oh. I think that's a really great way to to close our conversation we've got one more thing left to do which you know from the episodes that we recorded yeah. last time you know I like to ask uh, every one of our guests to set us some homework based on the theme of the episode so Natalie what is a simple project that we can do that will help listeners to deal with problems by changing the way they think about them, which is at the core of CBT therapy. Do I say CBT therapy? Because if I break CBT down, it's cognitive behavioral therapy. So I, I stumble I on that. <laughs> Do you know what? I had this exact dilemma for my website. Technically, it should just be CBT, right? Cognitive yeah. behavioral therapy. But I often write or say CBT therapy. Yeah. Because sometimes people are like, what's CBT? And actually, if you type CBT on Google... Sometimes you get stuff about motorbikes. I know if you have anyone that listens that knows about motorbikes, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's also, yeah, it stands for something else. But yeah, yeah. Like, CBT therapy, then you kind of know, okay, this is this is therapy. This is what, okay, cool. What's this simple project that we can do that will help listeners to deal with problems by changing the way they think about themselves that will help us on our journey to building a happier life? Yeah. What? Well, I probably would have said last time, all CBT therapists set home homework, or I often call it home practice instead. Yeah, because I think sometimes did. people hate homework <laughs> connotations on school. So, I mean, we've spoken quite a lot about thought challenging, changing our thinking. Um, so maybe even just a simple thought record, and that's something that usually you might be asked to do in your first couple of sessions, or even after your first assessment session. And usually, a simple thought record would ha would have three columns on it. It would have one column. Um, headed situation one emotions and one thoughts and what can be really useful is let's say you're struggling with anxiety anytime that you feel particularly anxious use that as your cue to think oh I'm going to complete my thought record so write mm. in what the situation was so what you were doing who you were with maybe what time where were you then write down what the emotion was but I guess if we're thinking about how you're feeling, that's your emotion and also physically, your physiology. So maybe it's anxiety, 80%, always helpful to give it a rating for the intensity. And maybe the physical sensations are feeling sick in your stomach and you've got a dry mouth, let's say. Yeah. Um, and then you'd want to think, what are my thoughts? What am I thinking right now? What's going through my mind in this moment as I'm here feeling anxious? And so you could literally write down whatever we notice that it is. Maybe it's what if I can't pay my bills next month? Maybe that mm. was the thought. And usually that's the first step before you then move into challenging your thoughts. It's just building that awareness of what you're actually thinking and how you're actually feeling. 
And it's really useful recording the situation because if you do that for a week and you say do one entry each day, when you look back, you might start to notice, oh, whenever I'm at that place, I always feel anxious. Or whenever I'm with that person, I always feel anxious. Um, And you might start to recognise triggers, perhaps, for your anxiety. Oh, that's a real good one there, Natalie. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So for more of you, it's natalieenglander.com. And on Instagram, you're the.perfectionism.therapist. Yes. Awesome. And if you haven't checked out the podcast episode that we did, Simple Steps for Rebuilding Mm. Self-Esteem, then uh, that's one for our listeners to go back and listen to because it was also awesome. So thank you, Natalie. Thank you. You're the best. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Gabby. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode of the Happier Life Project with me, Gabby Sanderson. And thank you again to Natalie Englander. It's always so great to catch up with Natalie. If you are suffering with your mental health, there is a crisis button on the My Possible Self app, which will signpost you to the correct information for immediate expert advice. Those of you who are listening on one of the podcast platforms, the My Possible Self app is completely free. So you don't need to worry about it costing you anything if you would like to download it. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review if you found this podcast episode helpful and to find and follow us on social media. We are at My Possible Self and I've been at Radio Gabby on Instagram and Twitter. So please take care and I'll see you on the next one. Bye for now. Bye.